Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC. This episode is a Pillar and Ground questions episode where we seek to provide biblical perspective for today's pressing questions. And today we are joined by my friend, our fellow congregant and elder here. He's a ruling elder on our session, Steve Kaufman. Welcome, Steve. I'm very glad to be here. Glad to have you here. And, uh, We're going to be discussing something with Steve today that I've benefited from discussing with Steve, and it is how do we as Christians engage in political speech and discussion with civility? That's a big question for our day, and so I'm just going to let you get started on that question. How do we engage in political speech and discussion with civility? Well, thanks, Brian. It is... uh... Uh, a hot button topic mm-hmm. and every topic under this is hot button so it's it's an important one especially for christians as they engage the world around them yeah to consider this and and i think the first thing i want to say is that uh, it's right to do it the engaging in political speech and discussion and to do so with civility is what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. as we all know we're made in god's image and he has he equipped us to take care of his world, and, and that includes the political world. So we shouldn't um, keep politics at arm's length. It's part of our lives. It's part of who we are. And uh, we should uh, uh, read and consider and have opinions. It's the right thing to do. The other thing I want to say about image-bearing, Brian, is that uh, Scriptures call us to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And I believe that part of that conforming is political conforming. Mm. As we engage in thoughtful, insightful, hopefully, uh, and civil discussion Mm -hmm. with um, fellow believers and with those who are outside the faith, I think we're becoming more and more like Christ. He's called us to engage Mm -hmm. uh, his world to unfold the potentiality within it in meaningful ways. Mm -hmm. And part of that's politics. So it's right for us to be interested in political issues and have convictions about those issues. It's in our uh, image-bearing DNA. I like that. It's factory installed. Uh, Exactly. To care about governance. We were actually put here on the earth as what's been called vice regents to steward the king. And so governance is factory installed, but so it's right. Um, but we need to be careful, right? How we express our political ideas, uh, particularly the way we engage those with whom we disagree. Right. As Christians, that's, we have to be really careful and mindful there. That's right. And I think the first thing to think about there is how much, we have in common with uh, even with those with whom we disagree. First of all, we all are finite and fallible. That is, um, we don't get everything. We don't know everything. Mm-hmm. We're finite. We're limited. And, uh, and therefore, a good dose of humility is in order all around. And also, we can make a botch of things that we think we know, that mm-hmm. we think we understand. And and uh, we, um, our insights can be distorted through our fallen natures. We are sinners, and uh, it, can, it can affect the way we think. Mm. On the other side of that coin, uh, the unbeliever, even, is 
the benefactor of God's common grace. Yeah. And and so uh, those uh, with whom we might disagree may indeed have legitimate insights. Yeah. And we need to pay attention to those. Mm. They too are made in God's image and therefore are worthy of our respect. Mm. So a lot we have in common as image bearers and as fallen, finite human beings. And that should frame, I think, uh, our attitudes toward mm-hmm. uh, not only ourselves, as we think of um, hopefully with some humility about what we have to mm-hmm. offer, but mm-hmm. also with some generosity yeah. uh, towards those with whom we uh, disagree. Yeah. And Brian, I think, too, that the, uh, the scriptures are just full of guidance here to to uh, shape our uh, thinking. Uh, for example, Christ calls us to love and pray for our enemies in his Sermon on the Mount. That's hard. Love your enemy. In our polarized world, that, that's not what we do. We, yeah, uh, we right. vilify the enemy. And that's not what Christ calls us to do. And then Paul in Philippians 2 exhorts us to consider the other person better than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Again, let's swallow hard and think about how we can do that. Mm-hmm. Micah 6, 8, and these are all familiar um, verses to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before God, we're called to do that. Mm. So combining justice and the love of mercy and, and humility are, are part of uh, how we um, should relate to yeah. others. And yeah. don't let a bitter root grow up. That's right. Says um uh, the author in Hebrews. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we talk, when you talk, mention Sermon on the Mount and Jesus saying, love your enemies. What's interesting about this moment in our country and in the church is that Christians in the political sphere are considering each other enemies if they disagree. And our primary relationship is not political. It's familial. We're brothers and sisters. We're not enemies. That's right. You can look out maybe at a unbeliever or maybe a pagan view that's propagating something that's anti-biblical and think that feels like an enemy. But in the church, we're we're finding enemies politically. Right. You know that that, that seems. I don't know. To me, it seems new. Yes, it's uh, uh, the historian Perry Miller once said that it's striking that. Um, those with whom we agree in the main, but differ in some points, we are more angry with them than we are with those who are far apart from us. Huh. And and I think we're seeing that more and more uh, in the evangelical world. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, it's concerning. For sure. So when you think about this dilemma, what what's the problem? What, what are the things that are contributing to this problem? Well, I like this quote I came across uh, recently by uh, Martin Marty. Uh, on on civility and conviction. He said, one of the real problems of modern life is that people who are good at being civil often lack convictions, or at least strong convictions, and people who have strong convictions often lack civility. And that's uh, <laughs> that's a dilemma. And what we do, we need both. Yes. We need people with convictions, yeah. and we also need people who, um, who can uh, express what they believe and why they believe it and to do it in a civil way. Mm-hmm. And civility is not just being polite to the other person. It's, it's about um, 
disagreeing without disrespecting, mm. disagreeing without dishonoring That's the other good. person. Yeah. That's really good clarification to to have convictions without civility is a real trespass. It is. And if, and if you want to alienate the other person, just uh, take the civility part out of your discourse and, mm-hmm. and you will do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yet civility without conviction is kind of sentimentalism. That's right. Uh, it has no, no anchor. Right. So yeah, those, that's a good clarification. Yeah. And, and it takes me back to what I said at the beginning. It, it's important to read and to read deeply and to mm. read widely and to, and to form uh, settled mm. uh, uh, ideas about things that you can, mm-hmm. you can share with others. And, but let that sharing be um, mixed with, um, with humility and care and honor for the other. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about that conviction and civility and the polarization of having conviction without civility and where we are. Yeah, you know, uh, conviction without c- civility leads to the polarization of peoples into warring tribes, and we've seen that. Yes. Uh, everything becomes a battle. And when we polarize, we see the person with the other point of view not just as being wrong, but as an enemy to be vanquished. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, we're pretty far removed from the biblical picture of how we should treat the other person. Mm. Uh, just recently, I think it was a Sunday, uh, there was an op-ed um, uh, written by the Christian writer Tish Harrison Warner. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard I of her. I do know her. Yeah. And she said something pretty striking. Uh, she said uh, that that seeing those with whom we differ as as uh, being morally contemptible, it's not just them that are, uh, those who are affected, but we are too. It makes us bitter. It mm. makes us less joyful. It makes us sneering and and intolerant and bombastic. She says, and and I think that's um, uh, that that's a a awful place to be mm-hmm. when we when we treat one another like that. Both the effect it has on us as well as on the other. Mm-hmm. Now that's not to say that um, there um, that all views are equally valid and mm-hmm. there's no right or wrong. It just means we should treat issues with um, humility and charity as we discuss them with others. And we should be open to the possibility that mm-hmm. others can speak into issues with insight, even though they come from a position other than our own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, similar thing of truth without love is often hostile. Love without truth is merely sentimental. Exactly. But Christianity provides a way to do both. Yes. Uh, in these dialogues, in this civility to uh, somebody said, I think it was actually Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, we should disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah, exactly. And I really appreciate that comment on civility. Now, you had uh, some examples of, of polar opposites kind of growing up. And, and you wrote a piece about your grandfathers, your two grandpas. And I want you to share that. And you've got that ready to share with us. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would love to, uh, Brian. I knew my uh, grandfathers back in the 50s. They both died early in the 60s. And I was just a young boy, but I have very vivid memories of them. I loved and respected both of them. Mm. And and it uh, as I reflected upon uh, them and their views of the of uh, life in in this world as believers, they were both believers. 
I, it really opened me up to the possibility that, that there can be um, um, pretty starkly different political views mm-hmm. coming from genuine believers and that both might have something to say to us. And mm-hmm. so I just, yeah, I want to share that. Um, I say in some ways my grandfathers had much in common. They were both Christians, one a Mennonite and the other a Methodist, and they were both from Indiana one from the farm country in the northern part of the state and the other from the coal country in southern Indiana. Let me begin by telling you about Grandpa Kaufman. He was the one who was a Mennonite and a farmer. Um, the Mennonites, as you, as you know, are an Anabaptist group akin to the Amish who emphasize uh, simple living and avoidance of what they call worldly ways, uh, which for some Mennonites means such things as not owning cars or fighting in wars. My grandfather Kaufman was in many ways a self-sufficient man in that he worked the soil, raised livestock for food, and repaired his own uh, farm implements. But in other ways, he was not an individualist, Mm. for he was part of a community sharing a common faith and lifestyle. He was a Mennonite. He had a strong sense of being bonded together with his fellow Mennonites in both faith and life. Mm. And he knew he could count on others during times of need. The mutual support of the Mennonite community provided a social safety net, if you will, for mm-hmm. all its members. And my grandfather Kaufman, therefore, it kind of makes sense. He was a political conservative. He uh, believed in government, but he believed that that uh, it should uh, provide for the common defense, should build roads, punish uh, criminals, and most of all, give him the freedom to fulfill his responsibilities as a farmer, a husband, a church member, and a community member. So as I reflect back on his life now, I see that he had a little need for the state because of his social space uh, was pretty well settled. Mm-hmm. All he needed when it was there. Um, and so he had a had a, what we might say is a conservative, limited view mm-hmm. of the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, uh, my grandpa Otten was a coal miner. Hmm. Uh, and as a young boy, he saw his father struck and killed by lightning uh, as they were together in the hayfields of Indiana. Mm. And within a week, as a 12-year-old, he began what was to be a 53-year um labor uh, in the coal mines and working his way up from water boy to um, a operator of a coal shovel. He was also a member of the, or he actually led the finance board at the Methodist church. And, and my uncle told me later that he, that they often had to do without because he would um, give to make sure the church budget was balanced. Mm. Uh, So he was a hard worker, uh, supported his family, um, was a church going, believed in honesty, believed in integrity. Uh, and, and he too was not an individualist um, because he personally experienced the hardship that came f- mm. from the early days of working in the strip mines near where he lived. And back then, uh, coal miners were the poorest of the poor. Mm. Until the 30s, when the government um, legalized collective bargaining, and he was a leader in the unions in the, there in the Indiana, and because of uh, the right to collective bargain, the coal miners' uh, standard of living uh, rose substantially, and they went from being the poorest of the poor to 
members of the middle, of the uh, middle class. So he um, had a different view of government. Yeah, he saw government as giving him uh, a helping hand to uh, get out of poverty, mm-hmm. and and he um, he was a um, firm believer that he was a Democrat. He said the Democrats are the party of the common man. Yeah. And so he was a lifelong Democrat, and he believed uh, FDR, Roosevelt, um, uh, did a lot to to uh, support the common man. Mm-hmm. Um, so very different um, views of, um, of of the state and of government. Mm-hmm. Both believers, um, one a Republican, small government, one a Democrat. In the uh, issues of the 50s, a, a big government person. Mm-hmm. To reflect back on, on his life, you might say that the fall had created um, a dislocation in terms of revenues and, and and in the coal uh, uh, mining uh, world, their owners are very rich and the workers are very poor. Mm-hmm. The step, the helping hand of the government was to alleviate that difference. So mm. um, here, politics overcame some of the ill effects of the fall. Yeah, and and so I learned a lot from that. I love both men, very different, with different political recommendations, but. Their social space that they inhabited led them to see issues differently and and make different recommendations. And I think today when we consider talking to the other, what's their social space? What's their experience? Where are they coming from and how does that so shape good. and form their beliefs? And, and take that seriously yeah. and with empathy. Yeah, and that empathy can be found if you were in the same social space as them do you really believe you would do differently? And, you know, some of that's, that's the empathy if I put myself in their space. But also what strikes me is you're able to hold these two men with different views um, because you knew them. One of the issues with polarization right now is we're talking at people that we don't have relationship with. And so it just becomes a, an argument versus a relationship and that that makes a big difference it does we dehumanize we objectify yes uh, and we don't treat them as objects uh, treat them as objects rather than subjects of value made in god's image yeah, yeah that's good yeah so you know what do we do yeah and that's a big <laughs> yeah. big area there you go and so just a, a couple of uh, of um, beginning suggestions yeah. One is keep talking. Uh, talk regularly with uh, fellow believers about these issues. Talk with uh, those uh, who may be outside the faith with whom you disagree. Um, but keep talking. Um, but do an equal amount of listening. Mm-hmm. Take in what they're saying and take it uh, seriously. And then begin to look for some common ground. You may be surprised. As I said before, we're all finite, we're fallible, we're all made in God's image. There's there's room for some common ground, and sometimes good surprises come when we look for that common ground. Mm-hmm. And then be respectful. Uh, yes, speak with conviction, but do it with respect. And then the other thing I think that is very important is to read um, widely and not just watch or read the people of your in your political corner. Mm-hmm. But read outside of that. Um, 
Hmm. And I do um, want to mention a couple of books that, that are written by Christians that I think are good places to, to start, mm-hmm. particularly on this topic of engaging with civility. I think the, the classic one is by Richard Mao. Mm-hmm. Uh, the title is Uncommon Decency, Christian Civility in an Uncivil World. Mao is a, comes from the Reform uh, camp theologically, and for years he was um, president of Fuller Seminary. And then the uh, book by, um, by Arthur Brooks. Arthur Brooks. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, the I one you share with I me. I shared that one with you, and I think that's really— Not because we're enemies. No. <laughs> right, just to learn. <laughs> it was a great book, Arthur Brooks. Yeah. Arthur Brooks. Uh, uh, Brooks is now at Harvard. He had been at the American Enterprise Institute for many years mm-hmm. um, and a very thoughtful believer uh, mm-hmm. in engaging these issues. Yeah. Uh, there are other um, people that I would recommend, anything written by Peter Weiner. Mm-hmm. And by David French, both mm-hmm. of them you'll find in Atlantic Magazine or New York Times, mm-hmm. and they're both careful uh, commentators. Um, uh, French uh, and Weiner are both uh, members of PCA churches, mm-hmm. so um, mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're always right, That's but right. It's, but they come from the same community of, of faith. Um, and then there are substacks to to think about. Um, uh, the Dispatch is one that I subscribe to, and, and Current, which is uh, written uh, from a Christian perspective, to Substacks. Um, and then um, in an attempt to read widely, both Mary and I uh, read every day the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Um, not cover to cover, but they they provide a spectrum of, of um, political views, and, and so we find those helpful. World Magazine, mm-hmm. and I mentioned the Atlantic uh, Monthly. Uh, are also helpful, I think. The Then there are think tanks like the Center for Public Justice, mm-hmm. uh, American Enterprise Institute, the Ethics and Public Policy Center. There are many, and there are others. But they are these are all thoughtful, mm-hmm. engaged uh, people dealing with um, political issues. The Center for Public Justice is, comes out of a reformed um, uh, philosophical and political perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been a member of that for many years. Wow. Um, Brian, if I could, uh, I'd like to close with a quote from Tim Keller. Please. Who else? Yeah, that's right. Please. <laughs> uh, he, this is uh, Keller on reading widely. He says, when you listen and read one thinker, you become a clone. Two thinkers, you become confused. <laughs> Three thinkers, you'll begin developing your own voice. Two or three hundred thinkers, you become wise and develop your own voice. Mm. Well, Brian, I'm somewhere between two and three and two or three hundred. <laughs> so I'm on, I've got a lot to learn yet, but yeah. I think that's wise counsel. That read really widely, good. read much. That's really helpful and a good word as we wrap up. And one of the things I'm struck with as I, I hear you, we, we tend to do most of our listening to pundits and things with which we have no relationship mm-hmm. and we listen and listen to the pundits but we don't listen in relationship do you actually know people that differ from you relationally politically so that you might can listen to a real human as you're reading combine that with real people that are different and that requires a stretch it does and uh, so I would encourage us all to think about that as well. 
allowing the one thinker, the two to three thinkers also to be living human beings who live in a different space, socioeconomically, uh, socially, and just listen to them and, and see if you can state their social space and their political views better than even they can. Uh, that's, that's when you know you've listened. Yeah, that's a good word. And I would add one more um, organization has been helpful for me, the AND campaign, which is led by an African-American man named Justin Gibney. And, and again, I don't agree with everything I read much of anywhere, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. But um, they do such a good job of showing how the polarization is often made either or. And that so often you can make a lot of progress if you begin to think of the both and. And they are really helpful in what they produce to get us to think in that way, which brings people together yeah. without compromise, with conviction and with civility. So thank you so much, Steve, for helping us. And, and we will uh, pray that the Lord will grow us in this area, particularly as a family, and that he'll use us to show the image of the Son who we're being conformed to in the political arena, Lord willing. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Pillar and Ground. We hope you'll join us for future episodes.